Hey there, folks. I'm PB. And I'm CJ. And we're the, the Gahooligans. We even lined that up perfectly this time. Definitely perfectly. It'll sound great. So we're on to book two of Catherine Lasky's Guardians of Gahool. Yes, we are. Which is, do you remember the title? The Journey. The Journey. Keep that in your back pocket because you will probably <laughs> need it later. Yeah, so if I remember right, this book is just kind of an owl version of the Odyssey? Not even close. Oh, <laughs> well, darn. Uh, hey, before we get into it, can I get a quick Miles check? Well, yesterday he brought me his dinner bowl to nap with us because it was very important that dinner bowl gets nappies too. And it couldn't wait on the floor. It had to be on the couch with us for napping. So if you're wondering about Miles' relationship to food, uh, there you have it's it. It's positive. He has a positive relationship with food. Yes. Sometimes a little bit of an obsessive relationship. We are getting way off topic and we're not even five minutes into this. This is an important part of the intro of the podcast is the Miles check. Is it? Yes. I insist that it is. Well, then he gets his official Gahooligan title then. Yeah. Executive producer? Of course not. So, um, owl vocab right off the bat. Boom, here we go. <laughs> Tell me, what do you remember of ribs? And this is not R-I-B ribs. This is not an edible rib. Sorry, Miles. Sorry, Miles. No edible ribs. This is R-Y-B rib. Isn't that like the owl word for like teacher? Pretty much. And I don't know why the owl word for teacher is different because they do have just the word teacher. Uh, <laughs> you gotta have your cool fantasy vocabulary. My guess on etym etymology would be like a shortening of scribe. That would make sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, maybe they cover that later. We'll find out. But I believe that that makes Miles, Miles Rib. Because that's how you say it. It goes at the end of the thing. Mm -hmm. um, it also makes you PB rib and me CJ rib. Uh -huh. Yep. Uh, I don't know if I'm qualified in anything to get a rib title. Neither is anyone else in these books. And the weird combination of letters equally fits the names that end in rib in this book. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Anyway, I am super excited to know more about this book than you do. Because I know you reread them. So many times as a child, and I did not. I didn't even finish the series. And I retained only tiny little bits and pieces, to be honest. And that's going to be so beautiful in this book, because I guarantee you, you do not remember the journey, even if you think you do. <laughs> yeah, like, my initial memory is like, okay, so pacing of the series would be, okay, book two is our trip to the Great Gahul Tree. And then book three is where we actually, like, get our, like, introductions to the Great Gahul Tree and, like, you know, settle into the society before really coming into the conflict in the now, last three books of the main series. You would, you would think that, given that the name of the book is the journey. the journey, but it's not. So this book is about 240 pages. We're going to stop around 117 or so today. Hey, you actually got a page count for once. I did. <laughs> Proud of so you. of that, here's why I got a page count, because I went back and I counted. Of those 240 pages, how many do you think are the journey to the Great Gahul Tree? Well, given the way, the leading way in which you're speaking, <laughs> I'm going to say 50. You're pretty close. About 70. 
All right, all right. So only about a third of this book is actually spent journeying. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, after the end of the first book being kind of the first half of the journey, you know what? That makes <laughs> sense. Well, okay, so this does kind of bring up uh, a question that I think I will try and ask multiple times here is, why is this book called The Journey if only a third of it is about journeying? And I do think that there is a thematic argument there that Lasky is going to very quietly make. Yeah, yeah, because, you know, once we get to the Great Gahul Tree, it's a journey of learning and joining a new society and all the other stuff. Right, yeah, 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 yeah. character journey. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. without looking at my notes, Sorry. go ahead and summarize just the journey for me. 70 pages, what happens? Okay, so we start off, the last book ended with our uh, four owl friends finally getting together and uh, fighting off a couple cannibal owls from St. Aggie's. And so we've got Soren, Gilfy, Twilight, and Digger. And? And Miss P, of yeah, course, yep, who travels yep. along with them, even though a couple owls are kind of used to eating snakes. So there's a kind of an awkward little culture clash there of... I, think is, is like digger is like ooh dinner and soren has to be like no this is miss p this is like my you're still in book one you're not even in book two yet of the journey <laughs> i just don't think we brought that up last time oh we did we did oh we did i'm pretty sure well we brought it up again now anyway okay so we have our four friends together they've committed to going and finding the great gahul tree because all their families seem to be gone um so we take off Let's see. The Eagles is in book one. I don't think yep. we go back to the Eagles, nope. do we? No. All right. Uh, Can you think of a single event that yes. happens on this journey? Yes. We fight a mountain lion. We start a forest fire, or there is a forest fire. We have to flee into a cave. There's mountain lion there, and we learn to use hot coals to burn a cat. You are so far into, like, the fourth or fifth event that happens in these 70 pages of the journey. But so I'm, we're going to back way up. You asked me for an event that <laughs> happened, and I gave you one that did happen. Yes, you did. So the first event, in the first chapter, we get mobbed by crows. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a looming threat whenever we fly at daytime. It is. The crows kind of come and go. They seem to be sentient, but we never actually meet any, I don't think. Yeah, I think we had this discussion before. Yeah, sentience is a weird gray space in mm -hmm. this world, for sure. Especially with birds. Um, so this matters because it changes the way we travel. It teaches us to be a little bit more cautious as a band. And most importantly, it puts Miss Plithover into a position of knowledgeable authority. Oh, yeah, because she's, like, telling them, like, hey, you guys, it's a dangerous plan to fly during the day. Yep. And they're like, eh, we're fine. We're young. We've never had anything bad happen to us by a rash decision, especially Twilight. Uh, Twilight is, oh, my God. Twi I have a Twilight song marked today. Oh, good. And it is a doozy. We haven't talked about the music in these books oh, at all yet. It's because neither one of us can really sing, uh, but I'm confident neither can Twilight. Yeah, that is fair. <laughs> um. These books have enough songs and poems in them to rival... Tolkien. Yeah, Tolkien. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like, I don't know if I've read another series that has so much in-universe music. So, we start off with crows. And then two things that actually I had also forgotten about. So, what does crow mobbing actually mean? I don't um, think we properly defined so that. So, for, for reasons unknown or reasons unexplained, 
crows spronkin hate owls. They just do. This is just a racial hatred thing that is never explained because we don't know the sentient status of crows. But if crows see owls flying in the daytime, they will just attack. Well, owls would probably eat a crow they found sleeping at nighttime. I mean, maybe? They don't talk about that. I don't know. I guess I'll have to go and do a little bit of research there, see. Yeah, give me an owl fact. Absolutely. I will look that up for next episode. (laughs) So, after they get attacked by crows, they have to take some time off. They have to heal. They have to rest up. Yeah, yeah. And they meet two sets of owls. Do you remember either one of those sets? I remember they meet, like, this friendly, older, married couple who's like, Hey, you can just live with us, kids. No. That's not what it is. That is not There's something dark there, but I don't remember what it was. There is, there is a set of kindly older owls whose names are, let me see if I can find them. There's something ridiculous, like Sweetums. Oh, yeah, yeah. And they're just like sickly, treacly sweet. Yeah, like they're, they eat nothing but sugar gliders. Yeah, yeah. And they're oh, constantly yeah. preening each other. Um, it's just gross. It's just PDA gross. Uh-huh. But this is important. So we have, this is important to me and my shipping charts. Yes. My owl shipping charts. Oh boy, we hear you. (laughs) What's the shipping forecast? Um, reason number one why Gilfie and Soren are supposed to be together. Oh, come on. That's like the most basic, straightforward possible ship. But they don't end up together. It's wrong. But it's. Well, well, you can have this discussion later. (laughs) Point being, we meet these two sickly sweet owls. We also meet just a straight up, like, not in my backyard, racist owl pair of mates. To contrast Sweetums and Swatums. Yes. Um... But which which owl are they discriminatory against? Is are they barn owls? Are like are they our first racist barn owls? They are pretty much our first racist barn owls. Um, they make they are masked owls, which are kind of a cousin. Yeah, yeah. I believe to barn owls because uh-huh. we start getting these. They're also Titos. Yeah, that's gonna be important. We start getting these little snide comments. Uh huh. About how masked owls look nothing like me. They have spots and I don't. They have white faces and buff colored wings, but more spots on their wings and heads. And they do a thing where they're like, hey, Soren, you should stay with us and leave your uncool, uh, racially diverse group of friends behind. Sort of. And it's even worse than that. Yeah. Um, they don't invite Soren to live with them, although they do make multiple comments about his. Obvious proper breeding and upbringing compared mm-hmm. to his friends, uh, but well, he did have Miss P. To be fair, that's who they go after is Miss P. Yeah, yeah, and how she is so aggressive for a nestmaid snake because she's like probably the only nestmaid snake that these owls would have ever known of to leave a nest. We discourage our nestmate snakes from socially mingling with us at any time, really. Can we get Owl <laughs> Downton Abbey? That's kind of what it feels like. So this is our first encounter with owl racism. <laughs> and I think it's important that it comes, A, in context with somebody who looks like Soren, 
Yeah, yeah. Because that's important, right? Yep, the that's... white kid's first encounter with other racist white people. Because mm-hmm. that, that is the obvious allegory here. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but also that it's in context with mates, right? Your partner, your life partner. Uh-huh. These two people are perfectly mated and they are both terrible. Sweetums and Swatums are perfectly mated and they are both sickeningly sweet. Yep. You should only ever... Mate with someone who is exactly the same as you. And then we get Gilfie and Soren talking, and they're actually talking about the eagles. Yeah, yeah. Streak and Zan from the last book. Oh, yeah, Streak and Zan. They had such cool names. Um, and Gilfie asks if you th- think it's, if Soren thinks it's possible that Streak and Zan love each other as much as Sweetums and Swatums. Yeah, because they're two very different relationships. Mm-hmm. But they're two different birds. And uh-huh. I think, honestly, I think that's what's being poked at here is, yeah. can other birds love the way owls can love? Happy Valentine's Day, by the way. Happy Valentine's Day. <laughs> this episode will probably be out, like, months after Valentine's yeah, Day. Yeah, but uh, it's relevant now to us. <laughs> so, yeah, they're talking about, like, is other bird love as valid as our bird love? And then immediately jumping to this very juvenile, and in my opinion, foreshadowing thought of, can you ever imagine what having a mate would be like? Well, yeah, because these characters are like, what, functionally 10-year-olds, 12-year-olds, you know? Yeah, teens. Pre-teens and teens. Like, young teens at the very least, or at the very most, with like Soren at least. So Gilfie says, honestly? No. And there's two ways to interpret this. Yeah, Gilfie is your ace representation. Gilfie is my ace rep. (laughs) (laughs) Or, this is foreshadowing, and Soren and Gilfie are supposed to end up together. Pick one, but that is the truth. And I will stick by that, and I will fight for it with battle claws. Well, we'll see how that evolves from book to book. (laughs) Anyway, that is our, like, first big event after the crows, is meeting these different owls from around the world. Uh Uh-huh. Then bring up your bobcat. It's not a cougar, by the way. It's a bobcat. It's a bobcat. Okay. Significantly smaller and owls stand a slightly better chance. Yes. So there's like, they run into a forest fire that's just like occurred naturally. And they have to like flee into a cave because like it's getting smoky and dangerous. Right? Am I right about that? You're, you're connecting dots, but they're not, the connections aren't right, but the dots are there. Uh, does the fire start? I don't know. They find, they have access to fire somehow. As they fly into this cave and encounter a bobcat. Mm-hmm. And I think Soren has the idea of like, look, we can't get close to this thing because it can pounce on us. And like, they're trying, but it's not going great. Mm-hmm. And Soren realizes like, I can pick up a coal and yeah, it's going to hurt my talons a little bit, but I can drop it on the cat. Close. So part A, the forest fire. It is not a random forest fire. What started it then? The cave itself. Oh, there was already fire in the... Oh, there were, were there candles in the cave? They can't tell when they get there. They're uh-huh. not sure what's going on with this cave yet. There are embers in the cave. But though, there the are embers least. in the cave, and the embers came from the cave to start this forest fire. They go in because they hear the death keels of an owl. Oh. Who tells them, get out, get out. And they don't listen, because when do they ever listen to Uh anybody in these books? Yeah, so they found the aftermath of a conflict that they have no understanding of yet. And the bobcat, clearly, to to our main characters, 
clearly has nothing to do with this fire or the owl inside. It's just Uh there to prey on the already dying owl. So you're right. Soren does um, pick up a, a burning ember. Not with his talons. Oh, with his beak? But with his beak. Leaving a permanent mark upon his soul. Or beak. Unclear, but that comes back later too. <laughs> I totally forgot that he got like a cool bird scar in the second book. <laughs> he has a cool bird scar, but it's invisible is the thing. Look, the early 2000s have a thing for cursed or somewhat magical scars uh-huh. on their main characters. But also scars that never actually do anything to affect that character's appearance in any meaningful way. Oh yeah, except to make them special uh, in the eyes of a later mentor. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. So yeah, we fight off this bobcat with fire. Yeah, yeah. Pretty cool. And then we meet the owl right before it dies. Um, I truly have no memory of this, so I'm just gonna assume that this owl was from Gahul and was fighting uh, some evil, some of the evil racist uh, Taito owls. Incorrect. Somewhat. The only thing, what if I told you? Like, that's probably like bringing back knowledge from what happens later in the series. They do ask. Gilfie, Gilfie asks because she's the only intelligent one in this party. Wait, but um, it's Soren's job to ask questions. That's what they established in the entire first book. Soren only asks questions if they're dumb. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Gilfie decides to try and get this dying owl to explain what, what has happened. And it's obvious that he's out of out of air here. Uh-huh. Um, but he tells them, don't blame the cat. They were only here after they. They, they. And Gilfie says, who's they? This and- dying owl, uh-huh. in his last words, give, him, give them the words that motivate them for like the next book and a half. Uh-huh. You only wish. You only wish it was St. Aggie's. It was not St. Aggie's owls. Oh, yeah, because that's, of course, the first assumption is it's St. Aggie's. Because that's where they escaped uh-huh. from. Of course they would think that. And he tells them, you only wish. Now, uh-huh. I spent the whole last episode making an argument about what's worse than death. Uh-huh. You only wish. And St. Aggie's was the answer in the first book. Yep. Now, in the second book, we're finding out St. Aggie's is small fry. And that shows up. Again and again in the series that, like, St. Aggie's is tiny compared to some of the other much larger evils in this world. Right. Which is a big, like, allegorical argument to make, you know? Uh Uh-huh. That the concentration camps that killed so many, that ruined so many lives, aren't even the worst of it. You know? Yeah. That's the allegorical argument there. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Which begs the question... That Gilfie and Soren and the other two idiots will follow for the rest of the book, which is, what's worse? What's you only wish? Well, that only brings us to page 30. Woo! (laughs) And I said we have to get to at least 70 just to get through the journey. Uh Uh-huh. Let's see. We have some more group bonding, I'm sure. Um, I think that that's only, like, the major, that's the only, like, major fight they have until they get to the tree. Yes, correct. So it is just more kind of some travelogue from here, and it's perfectly peaceful, and there are no intergroup conflicts, and everyone just has a good time. Uh, are you spronking with me on purpose? I cannot remember what else happens here. 
So there is, there's kind of two big things that happens from here. And the first one is everything is pleasant. Hey, see, I was right. <laughs> they reach a place called Mirror Lakes. Oh, yeah, because the lakes are like really calm and still and you can see your reflection in them. And doesn't like Twilight go like full like myth of Narcissus completely obsessed with his own reflection? Oh, my Glocks. Twilight is at his most Twilight we will ever see him again. This is already an owl who is well known for bragging his own abilities and singing songs about himself. And these mirror lakes. And he is like also oh. like the best warrior out of the four of them in the fights that we've seen. Or he says he is. Like, I don't know. He's the biggest owl of the four of them. Right. And his confidence seems to play up, you know, whatever skill is actually there. Uh-huh. But I do have an owl song for you. Yes, please. I have no idea how anyone would actually sing it. You want me to take a shot at it? Oh, please do. All right. Should I do the whole thing? Sure. I mean, yeah. I'll have to see if I can put a little bit of musical backing behind this, too. All right. So this is like, uh, yes, this is Twilight's song about how he's the best. Yes. <laughs> Wings of silver spread on high, fierce eyes of golden light. Across the clouds of purple hue and your majestic flight. See, he's got a decent meter there. Oh, twilight. Oh, twilight, most beautiful of owls. Who sculpts the air beyond compare who with feathers sublime. An owl for now, an owl for then, an owl for all of time. Upon which he then gets uh, shart on by a seagull. Immediately as that song fi finishes. Yeah, those wet poopers. They don't <laughs> respect his uh, poetic craft. Because that was right off the dome there. He didn't make that up. He didn't plan any of that. Like, he, he could go to slam poetry and do all right. This whole, like, ten-page chapter is mostly about Twilight singing about how great he is. And Miss Plythifer getting more and more fed up about it. Yeah. Everyone else is just kind of like, hey, yeah, Twilight's doing his thing. Good for him. You know what? He is really cool. <laughs> well, the problem is everyone else is kind of falling into it, too. Uh -huh. Sauron starts talking about how handsome he is. How much he looks like his dad. He's just repeating things that his mom told him. I mean, a, a little bit, yeah. But the point is, they're all falling into this narcissist trap. It's just uh -huh. Twilight is the worst of it. Now... We never, to my knowledge, come back to or evaluate the Beaks, which is where Mirror Lake is at. I feel like we do someday, but I could not tell you when or where, so. This feels, like, this is the longest part of the journey, is here in the Beaks. Uh-huh. It feels so important, and we never talk about it again. It's like kind of a moment of, like, all these owls starting to... Rather than just going towards goal to goal to goal to goal. Yeah. This is some... when they get sidetracked. Uh-huh. Take some time to just, you know, kind of faff about. And I think even more importantly than that, here are four traumatized owls. Mm -hmm. Two who were kidnapped and enslaved. Uh-huh. One who was always orphaned. And one whose family was cannibalized. In front of him. In front of him. And they finally reached a place where 
There are voles aplenty. There's plenty of water. It's beautiful. The thermals feel great under your wings. Why would you ever leave? Yeah, they could stay here and live here and have a fine life. And the only thing that makes them leave is Miss P, who seems to think that this area is dangerous and messing with their gizzards somehow. Which, because she's Miss P in these books, she's almost certainly she's right. She's right, yeah. I mean, we're going to talk a little bit about ableism in these books yeah, later. Yeah. And Miss P definitely falls into this kind of, like, wise old blind lady trope. Always mm-hmm. listen to the wise old blind lady. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's her. But I do think it is, I don't know, thematically important to have this utopia that you cannot stay in. Uh-huh. Because you can't stay in it because... Not everyone else gets it. And also, like, you have seen the evils of the world firsthand. Right. You have to do something about it. You must now go be a noble owl. Yeah. Life is struggle. The meaning and the purpose of life, the value of life, is struggle. And if you stay in this place with no struggle, then your life is going to lose all of its meaning and value. So despite this being a relatively short chapter, it it feels like an important thematic component. Uh Uh-huh. Kind of a counterpoint to... What our owls strive for most of the time is this is what they are choosing to not stay with. Right. This is what they're rejecting. And it becomes even more important uh, in the next chapter, kind of the last big event of the journey. Do you remember this part? It's my favorite part. Um. What's my favorite bird? Why am I blanking so hard right now? They're big, goofy looking, like big beak, goofy looking northern birds. And they were in the Star Wars movies, but they had to oh, like... Puffins. Puffins! Puffins! There are puffins, and they are sentient. Uh-huh. How do we get to the puffins? Um, so we do leave Mirror Lakes, right? We do leave Mirror Lakes. But we're Lakes. still flying through the beaks, which is kind of like this weirder, more remote part of the owl lands. Uh, kind of scrappy trees that aren't very good most of the Uh time, except for the Mirror Lake area. And we start flying over the giant Sea of Hool. Yes, because the Great Hool tree is supposedly in the middle. Mm -hmm. But but it gets very foggy, and it gets really, really hard to see and navigate. And they start to feel like they're getting lost and going in circles, and they're starting to get tired, and there's nowhere to land. Even worse, not just foggy, they fly into a Willowa. What's a Willowa? It's an actual word. It is not an owl word. It, uh, anybody who lives in the north will probably know the word Willowaw, which is a windy sea storm, mm, essentially. Yeah, yeah. So they're picking up these cold updrafts that are hard to fly through. Gilfie especially is like struggling because she's tiny. Uh-huh. And then they get blown basically into an ice wall where the puffins live. Yeah. If I remember right, the puffins are nothing but pleasant. I mean, they're 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 low low key rack drops. Like they're mean the whole time, but it's all in like a fun digging at you uh-huh. sort of way. Of like, wow, ma, look how thick these owls are. They're so dumb. Ha 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 ha. Uh-huh, uh-huh. You know, we're just razzing you. We're just having a good time here. And once again, like we've met a new bird. Uh huh. So we are going to spend a good amount of time. Doing bird racism. Yeah. And talking about how funny looking these cactus creatures are. That's how far we go. We describe puffins as cactuses. I don't see it. Because they're round and colorful. 
That's not what I think of when I think of cactuses, but okay. That is the word that is applied to them, is cactuses. So at this point, it's cold. They're eating fish, which is not owl food. Uh, they're kind of a little stuffed up about that. You know, they're, they're uh-huh. up their own butts a little bit about yeah, it. Yeah. Well, also, they were so close to their goal, only to get blown off course. Which is why they want to go back. Yeah, because, like, they tried, they failed, it's not there. Might as well go back to that happy utopia where everything was great and there were no problems. Yeah, yeah. You know, they've been through enough trauma for their lifetimes. But Soren won't go. Well, yeah, because he's Mr. Protagonist Boy. He is Mr. Protagonist Boy, and he has to make the right choice. And when he asks, like, when his party starts questioning him and saying, Uh well, why don't we just go back and rest up a little bit and try again? Soren says, if we go back, we ain't never leaving. Party says, well, what if we don't all feel the same way as you? Maybe one of us wants to go back and stay there, Twilight. Mm-hmm. And this is also kind of a culmination of a subplot, if I remember right, that still continues throughout the rest of the books of Soren and Twilight kind of jockeying for who is the leader. But yeah. this is kind of a moment where, like, everyone kind of accepts Soren as yes. the leader because he's the one who can actually make the choice that none of them really want to make. Yeah, the chapter just kind of ends when Soren says, oh, we're all going to the Great Gahool Tree because we're a band. And because we're a band, you're going to listen to me and we're going to the Great Gahool Tree. Uh-huh. I mean, they did fight off a couple cannibals and, you know, that does kind of bond, yeah. That, that's a good trauma bonding method. And that word band is going to come up a lot, yeah, too. Yeah, that's what we they are call. A band. That's what they call the four main owls. Mm-hmm. I had forgotten what word they used for themselves, but yeah, the band. The band. And we are a band, so we have to go on. And mm-hmm. we do, finally, by page 76, make it to the Great Kahool Tree. Uh-huh. Did they do anything different the second time to get through the storms? Uh, sort of. They get rescued. By a whole slew of new characters. Are you ready for a little mini game? Yeah. Great. Pass me my notes. So, I have a challenge for you. Oh, I am going to fail this so hard. Now that we have arrived at the Great Gahool Tree. Yeah? We're having kind of a genre change. Yeah, because all of a sudden we're kind of at like a magical school sort of thing. Right. And in order to have a magical school kind of thing, you know... We gotta have a big cast. We gotta have a big cast. So I would love for you to name as many characters as possible that get introduced in the next one chapter. There's Ezelrib. Yep. Because he's like an important one. Yep. Ah. Uh, um, That's one. Yeah. Um, shoot. There's one who ends up being Soren's love interest, who's another barn owl. Do you remember her name? And her name is... Not staying in my head. It is driving me nuts. I keep wanting to say Hortense, and I know that's not right because it's Ooh. not Hortense. Oh shoot! I know this. Backdrops. It starts with a ooh. Oot. No, I don't got it. Ootlissa. Ootlissa. Of course. Spronk on Ootlissa for crashing my ship. Spronk on you, Ootlissa. So we have two. We have Ezelrib and we have Ootlissa. Who else? Um, gosh, <laughs> I know there's so many more characters in. Let's start with this one. Two characters uh-huh. fly the band in to the Great Gahool Tree. Who yeah. are they? 
It's the king and queen of the Gahul tree. Because yes, there's we are in a monarchy. I remember they're snowy owls, right? They are snowy owls, and I, they both I, have the same letter name. I could not tell you their names, but they're both snowy owls. They're both. Uh, I'll give you a half point each. You get three points in total. What are their names? Boren and Baron. Boren and Baron. Who else? Baron B E R E N. B A R O N, I believe. Oh. I was just thinking, is that like a uh, because they're nod? they're one letter away from uh-huh. each other? There's boron and uh-huh. baron. Uh huh. Yeah. Let's see. We've got at least two more teachers you could mention. Let's see. Isn't there like an armorer? There is a blacksmith. We yeah, need blacksmith. a blacksmithing owl. That's a yeah. big deal. Yeah, that rules. Like, uh, remember how they had those battle claws at the end of the last book? We meet the person who's making them. Yeah. Yeah. These owls do metal crafting. Pretty awesome. Do you remember his name, though? No. It also is a B name. I'm gonna take a shot in the dark. Do it. Boris. Not bad. Boobo. Oh, not even close. Boobo. Boobo the blacksmith. Is that ooh, an O-O or a U? That's a U. Okay. B-U-B-O. Boobo. Boobo. What kind of owl is he? Um, it's unclear because he is always described as being covered in soot. Oh, um, yes. I think I remember he has, like, big old ear tufts like a great gray does. Uh-huh. But, unclear. He is cool. a blacksmith owl that is a new breed. <laughs> yes. We also have... Let's see. Related to Utlissa, from a very grand family of navigators, a, a long line of descendant navigators, a spotted owl. So very elegant and fancy. Uh-huh. The teacher of the navigation shop. Um, again, just taking a shot in the dark here. Utelia. Strix Struma. Strix Struma, that's a strong name. You can tell, like, the parts of these books that I remembered, which is, like, the owl fights and stuff, and the parts <laughs> that I didn't, which is, like, any character names or traits. <laughs> I remembered Utlissa just because I hate her, but we'll get to that later. <laughs> <laughs> See, when I read these books, I never really felt strongly about... Any of the ships at all. Well, okay, yeah. But also that's because most of these characters aren't characters at all. Like, yeah. If you take Soren as a character, he's very flat. His job is to question and be a protagonist. Yeah. Utlissa is just awful. But anyway, there's one more um, big name character that we meet right off the bat, and that is Primrose. Do you remember Primrose? Not Primrose Everdeen, but this makes me wonder if maybe they're connected. <laughs> Yeah, maybe Suzanne Collins was cribbing some notes. (laughs) You never know. These owls could do a Hunger Games. They kind of do. Yeah, yeah. Later. These owls could set up a Hunger Games system. Anyway, Primrose. Um, she also like a really little owl. She was. She um, she's not really. She's not an elf owl like Uh Elfie, but she is young. A little bit younger than the rest of the band. But she's gonna come back a lot because she's going to join. Archa. I do want to talk about Primrose a little bit, though, because when we meet her, when we arrive at the Great Gahul Tree, there is a search and rescue underway immediately, like while we are arriving. Yeah. That's why Boren and Baron are able to find the band and bring them into the trees, because they were already out searching for a bunch of downed owlets. Oh, yeah. A bunch of babies that were thrown out of their trees and into a wildfire. Uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah. And we start to put some, connect some dots. We don't connect them yet, but it is, it is another addition to the dot yeah. puzzle. 
Yes. Well, we the readers. We the readers start to go, huh, weird. Wildfire, downed owlets. That's kind of happened before. Uh huh. Meanwhile, Soren just makes no connections until he's he a needs dummy. to. Until he needs to for the plot, and then all of a sudden he's moderately smart. <laughs> because of his giz tuition, whatever. Ugh! Giz tuition, that's a good <laughs> word. We need to talk next about chaws. Chaws are like classes, kind of? Or like, uh. It's your Hogwarts house for owls? Yeah. Yeah. So, mini game number two, just list off for me as many chaws as you can. There's a lot of them. There's an absurd number of chaws. Well, he said navigation. You yep. gave me that one for free. Navigation led by Strixstruma. Uh, there is blacksmithing. Blacksmithing led by Bubo, although that's kind of not a chaw exactly. It's unclear. Uh-huh. It's not really a chaw, but some people do learn it, but it's a really secret, like, art. Yeah. There's got to be, like, a battle chaw. It's search and rescue. Oh, which search and rescue. Which doubles as battle. Yeah. That's three. Um, let's see. There is, like, doing stuff with fire chaw. Coilering. I think yeah. I'm saying that right. Coilering cha. Uh-huh. And I think that's kind of what the band ends up doing a little no. bit. No. We'll get to that on the next episode. Okay. Coilering. That's another really good Coilering. owl word. Coilering. It's not an owl word. That is a real word. Nice. I, I'm going to call it an owl word. <laughs> an owl word. And if you are in the coilering cha, there is a second cha that you must also join. Search and rescue? Weather. Oh. Weather interpretation. Oh, yes, yes. Led by the great and mysterious... Ezelrib. Ezelrib. Who is like our ancient scholar owl. And oh boy, are we going to talk about Ezelrib. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, well, yeah, because he's like the entire plot of the third book. Mm-hmm. We that's got... four. All right, so that's four chas. You gave me one of those. I'm not going to take any credit for that. Do we have like a scholarly cha? Like a... A reading and writing? There is, but it never really gets brought up unless you go to basically the prequels of these books. That still counts, though. Uh, yeah, in the far north, they call it the, the Danyar. Cool. Which are the cool. scribes? Yes. We'll get to those books someday. Oh, there's also a research and printing. Yeah, so there's kind of, yeah, 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 yeah. There's both. Yeah, research and printing is more what I was thinking of. You know, the owls that actually can write. Yes. Because that, that feels relevant to bring up. <laughs> Owls can write. We don't know how, but they do it. They've got talents. They could. How are they binding letters. books? What are they binding books with? Um, voice. are they skinning animals for hide and parchment and binding this together? I have to know. I mean, they might just be doing it in like scroll form. No, they talk about books and turning pages. Hmm. I mean, these owls have worked a lot, and they've built a whole. My only, no, my headcanon now is that we are skinning and tanning other sentient beings in the world to print our books. Yeah, I do that in Dwarf Fortress all the time. <laughs> anyway, that's what, five? Five chows? Four Yeah, chows? that's five chows, I think. Um, There's one other big one and one other semi-important one. Is there like a uh, owl-raising chow? Like uh, looking after the little ones sitting on eggs? No. Okay, there's not one. So that's something that St. Aggies has over the Google trees. They actually have people in <laughs> charge of child care. <laughs> uh, that's not good. No. All right. Uh, so that was a swing and a miss. Shoot, what else do owls need? Do we have a hunting chaw to keep everyone fed? In the movie, apparently, yes. All right, so that does not count because I'm not counting anything from the movie until I see it. 
In the books, no. I think the closest equivalent would be the tracking chop. Mmm. Which is different than search and rescue. Search and rescue flies high and Uh is aerial support, so they're the first to engage in battle. Tracking flies low to the ground, sometimes in grasses, and they are keeping an eye out for, you know, whatever Uh might be down there. So search and rescue is basically the book's ways of getting around the fact that the ghoul tree would sound kind of worse if it had an army. Yes, absolutely. 100%. And just calling it search and rescue instead. Yes. Cool, cool. This is propaganda. Uh-huh. There is one more important job. Um. It's about the tree itself. Yeah, kind of like our political class. No. No? No? Okay. It's Um, called, you'll never guess it, so I'll tell you. Okay, tell me. It's called Gahulology. Oh, of course, where we keep the old legends of Gahul. No. (laughs) No? It's more boring than that. Is it just we look after the tree and (laughs) clean stuff up? We we yarp pellets onto the tree and bury them, and that is our job as a chaw. I do remember this now, and I cannot remember for the life of me why it exists or what it... It exists to please the worst of all of the ribs, Dulap. Dulap. The worst. Just maybe worse than Utlissa. Uh-huh. Because Utlissa isn't a rib. She's another... Like, Utlissa is a student. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A student with our friends. They call and, them Chalets. And starts out as kind of a rival... Yeah. To, like, Soren. Yeah, so uh, when our band arrives, they are all chawlets, owlets of chaws that uh-huh. all have to train and then be kind of sorted into their houses, you know? Yeah, yeah. To see what they're best at. Yeah, or, you know, figure out their personality types so that they can go into the group that only has the one exact same personality type. Exactly, yeah. Except for Soren, who's a divergent. <laughs> Am I getting this right? Um... Kind of? So, upon arrival... Okay, impressive, because I never read those books. (laughs) (laughs) Upon arrival, after reaffirming themselves as a band and saying, we're a band, we're a team, we're going to stick together, they arrive at the Great Kahul Tree and are immediately told, your band is going to be split up. Yep, yep. (laughs) They're like, no, this is Rack Drops. And you're going to split into a whole bunch of other bands. And they're like, we don't want to. Oh, but actually, those bands sound great. And we know, without even questioning, where most of our team is going to go. Yeah, yeah. Gilfy, where do the smart people go? Uh, the Ezelrib one, the... No. Whether... No, navigation. Navigation, navigation. Navigation with Strix Struma. Oh, yes, yes. Uh, because that's where all of the clever that's, people go. Yeah, that's the high achievers. Yeah, that's the high achievers. Where's Twilight going to go? Uh, search and Rescue. Search and Rescue, no question. We're going to go fight. He's an owl of Everybody. action. <laughs> Where's Digger gonna go? Tracking. Tracking, because he's a good low flyer. He can stay down there. He likes to run. It'll be great. And he's got good tracking skills, we've already established. So, even though they throw a fit initially upon being uh-huh. split up, they're immediately like, oh, I'm gonna get tapped to go to this cha, and it's gonna mm-hmm. be great, actually. All except for... Miss P! Where's Miss P gonna go? Miss P actually does get a guild. Yeah, she ends up with the... Gahulologists? No. Oh, Get she... this. The nest-made snakes have their own chaws. Oh, good. You're right. <laughs> because we're Wait, following... chaws plural? Chaws plural. Oh, I forgot that. Um, there are multiple, and they are all feminine-coded. Oh, of course, of course. 
Because, we, you know, they're the, they're the servant class. Because they're the servant class. Oh, yeah. We are following some weird separate but equal Jim Crow rack drop nonsense over here. Um, it is both gendered and racial in an uncomfortable way. Yeah, yeah. So we, we got for Miss P the options of the weavers. Mm-hmm. The lace makers. How does a snake make lace? I don't, what is the purpose of lace in this world? I don't know. Uh, I'm just, you were talking about how do owls make books. And like that, I can kind of imagine in my head, like an owl going through the process of making a book. Like it's weird, but these owls do a lot of kind of human things. So like, but snakes weaving thread. I have to imagine they like grab it in their mouths and then weave themselves. I guess, yeah. Like, they are the, what's the word, bobbin that, like, uh-huh. dives between the, th- I don't know. But th- we also have, lastly, the Harp Makers Guild. Oh, yes, of course. The Harp Guild for snakes. The people who sing all of the owls of the tree to sleep every night. <laughs> it is the most prestigious <laughs> of the guilds for the snakes. Yeah, Miss P has her own little drama here. She does. She? <laughs> she absolutely does. Oh, also, during the day... Our snakes are the tables. Oh, they are! Oh. <laughs> Your face was priceless. Oh I've forgotten so much of this book <laughs> and it's just coming back. And it's just punching me in the face. I imagine Miss P got punched in the face quite a bit too with a bunch of teenage owls sitting on her uh-huh. and eating off her back. Some of them who are used to eating snakes? Again! Weird, racialized uh-huh. context. These snakes, who are the nestmates, are literally tables. Literally serving tables. What does that mean? I mean, like, who doesn't love to do a little bit of human furniture every now and then? I, so it does come up. This is kind of like a social dynamics thing. You know in middle school when, like, you had to go to eat at the lunchroom? Yeah, and, and the lunch table was really important. Right, yeah, yeah, you yeah. had to go choose a lunch table. Well, these snakes are the lunch tables. And they can, should they choose, stretch themselves a little further to include more people. But sometimes they just don't. Uh-huh, uh-huh, that sounds familiar. Except yeah. for Miss P, she always does. Uh-huh. Everybody's invited to Miss P's table. Especially the band. As long as you don't tell what poop jokes. Yes, that'll get you kicked right out. It does, actually. That happens to Twilight, yeah. Uh, it happens to the whole band after a series of wet poop jokes. She shakes herself, thereby shaking the table of all of their teacups and cooked pastry. So more importantly than binding books, these owls are doing pottery? These owls are somehow doing pottery and cooking pastries. Oh. It's such a turn. We spent the whole first book talking about, like, how special it is to eat your first bit of raw meat with fur uh-huh. on it and yarp a pellet that way. And now we're into, here's a cooked milkberry tart. Uh-huh. It's like we just walked a mile away from an entire, like, multiple civilizations of, like, sustenance hunter-gatherers and walked into, like, a mid-20th century city. It's really weird. Uh-huh. It's really weird. I remember being confused as a kid getting here and going, well, this is not what I expected of owl society at all. Okay. I, I went with it, but it's weird. So this is pretty much where we leave off. We meet all these characters. Mm-hmm. We talk about what chaws we think we're going to end up in. And Soren is left kind of like, I don't know what I want to do. Right. Because he's a dummy boy. He's a sweet, soft boy. 
I can deeply relate to that from, like, picking a college major. But obviously he's going to get the specialist one. Oh, definitely, definitely, right? Yeah. Because he's our special protagonist boy. So from here... Yeah. I have some optional topics of conversation for you. Lay them on me. Your choices are... Ableism. Owl theology. And bird racism. I feel like we've already discussed some of the bird racism... Um, and the ableism has been kind of an underlying current. We've not really brought up owl theology at all. So what are your quick hits on owl theology? Okay, first some vocab. Yeah. We already know hell is an owl cuss word. Yes. Which you would think means hell is an owl place. It is not. No? No. Owl hell is Hagsmire. Oh, yes. Well, you know, you gotta have multiple different levels of hell, you know? Which is just such a good word. I'm really into this bit of owl vocab, actually. Hagsmire. Do they have heaven, too? They do. Glaumora. Glaumora, but yes, because owl god is Glaux. Owl god is Glaux. And not only is owl god Glaux, the first owl is Glaux. Yeah. So this is very Christianity coded. Uh It's an exact parallel. There's nothing for, you know, a white audience. To have to think about most... A white American audience to have to think about most of the time. And I think... I I think that this addition of owl theology, that does actually get built out here. We have characters talking about what happens after death. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, our main characters have seen a lot of death so far, so it's going to be on their minds. Right. It it has to be. And they have people in their lives who are missing, like Mm -hmm. their parents... Or like Soren's sister, Eglantine. And the chapter I left off on actually is all about Soren talking to Miss P about Eglantine. And it's worse not knowing. Yeah. Or, or if I'll even get to see her in Glaumora. So there is an owl afterlife. Yes. And you can be denied this owl afterlife. The f- one of the first things that we will get a little bit later on is a description of God. Of Glaucks? Of Glaucks, yeah. Who was the first owl. We meet an owlet who starts to describe the great Glauc and how you shouldn't take Glaucks's name in vain. No, Glaucks hates that. Especially you, Soren, who was made in his image. Ooh. <laughs> we have entered the realm. Of white Jesus. White Jesus is here. Uh, but what is interesting is Utlissa, Spronken Utlissa, is the first to speak up against that and say, actually, no, Glox is, Glox is for all owls. Glox made all owls. Yeah, yeah. I have to talk about this. Yes, please, please. Because this is how fascism happens. Yeah, absolutely. There is a distinct and and studied link between the rise of nationalism and fascism and the religion that it uses to get there. It uses it as a tool. Yeah. Institutionalized religion, sacralized politics. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, you you saw it in the Third Reich. It's it's well documented. Yes. Uh, There's a whole book about it. I did not read the whole book, but... John Pollard has this amazing rethinking the nature of fascism. Anyway, 
there's some good stuff in there that he talks about how religion gets institutionalized. Yes. And to just make a connection here, religion is a way fascism is built so much on othering and building in groups and out groups. Mm -hmm. And religion Mm -hmm. is such a, is already a lot of religions, not all religions, but a lot of religions, especially, you know, our white American conceptualization of evangelical Christianity. Right. Is built around their, you know, are true believers and there aren't. And that there's an easy in group out group. There are owls who look like Soren and there are owls that don't. Yeah. Yeah. So it is, it is immensely important in a children's book, especially, that we immediately have Utlissa pushing back on this to show that no, these owls, you know, these Gahul owls, these are the good owls. But it also has this distinct undertone of a little bit of white saviorism, you know? Yeah, yeah. Soren still gets to look like Jesus. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, Glaucus, not Jesus. <laughs> Owl Jesus. It's the same thing. Or is Jesus just human Glaucus? Don't make this weird. <laughs> it's already weird. But this is going to come back, and we are we are going to see this owl theology that our kids, our owlets, are questioning, and it's going to be used as a weapon. Yeah. Do we ever find any owl atheists? Arguably, yes. Or run into other bird religions? Not really. Glocks is pretty universal. Although, you know, I did have an interesting thought while I was making these notes. Yeah. This was 2002? Yeah. 2003, maybe? 2003, maybe. I found it really interesting that this was specifically Christian coded. I would have expected, I'm glad it's, I'm glad that it is because I think that's the more interesting um, allegory to follow and perhaps even the more accurate. But I, I'm curious why post 9-11, Catherine Lasky didn't go for the low hanging fruit and make, you know, ISIS the bad guy like everyone else was doing at the time. Well, because this is a book about the evils of fascism, not religious extremism. You know, like, fascism is the center stage here. Yeah, that's true. Like, you know, the U.S. post-9-11 had such a hard right backlash Mm -hmm. and a hard right culture turn. And a lot of people were aware of that. You know, there were massive protests against the Iraq war. I'm just really impressed that this is the book that got out that is not anti-Christianity, but definitely, like, check your Christianity, yeah, you know? Yeah. I I don't know that I have too much more to say about it yet, and I know that there has been so much, I mean, there's been a lot of research on the anti-Islam push of the early 2000s. Yeah. In media especially, but also just politically, and Lasky didn't do that. Lasky pointed out the problem at home. The white supremacy at home in a time when not a whole lot of people were really paying attention to that. Yeah, no, this series is, especially the first six books, are completely about the fascism in your own backyard. Mm -hmm. Like, I think we talked about this in the first episode. Like, yeah, the bad owls that we haven't really met yet are uh, Nazi allegory for sure, but they're also just like a KKK allegory. Right. We met the Nazi owls. That's St. Aggie's. Yeah, the KKK yeah. is still to come, and this is kind of the clue. This this owl theology is laying the foundation for the KKK to come. You know, this yeah. is this is how fascism forms in owl language. Yes.
But hold on to that owl theology because yeah, we'll we'll come back and talk about they're birds coming more later. They're coming. Okay, uh, let's talk about bird discrimination a little bit. <laughs> so we talked about the puffins. Yes, we talked about the puffins. We talked about the eagles. Uh-huh. And this kind of weird relationship owls have to other birds. And the crows, too. And the crows and the seagulls. We chat with seagulls. Yeah. We tell and... wet poop jokes with seagulls. Uh-huh. And seagulls are considered, you know, rough, uncouth, and very dumb. The lowest of the low birds. Oh, yeah. yeah. But there's also a weird owl hierarchy. Yeah, like we've talked about the Taito owls and how, like, even owls that are, aren't exactly barn owls, they feel some sort of kinship. And we met those racist owls. They're like, oh, us Taito owls, us masked owls and barn owls, you know, we got to stick together. And those aren't the only owls to say spronk like that to Soren. Yeah. Utlissa uh, comments uh-huh. on the obvious well upbringing of Soren when they meet. She's also a barn owl, right? She is a sp- Spotted owl. She's a spotted owl, but that's another Taito owl. Yes, too. she's another Taito, but not another Taito <laughs> Alba. Uh, Soren is the only Taito Alba we meet at the Gahul tree. Yeah. So they're kind of left to be sort of rare and special. You know, there, there, there is a hierarchy there. Yeah. Um, yeah. sort of barn owls, uh-huh. snowies, and great grays because they're big. Mm-hmm. Spotted owls because they have a long traced ancestry of Strixes, which Utlissa does not shut up about ever. Oh yeah, yeah. And then everybody else. Mm-hmm. Uh, digging owls, burrowing owls like Digger. Uh huh. Pretty down, pretty low. Yeah, yeah. Gilfy, nothing but short jokes all the time. People yes. make fun of Gilfy constantly for her height. I mean, you can relate. I I related so hard to Gilfy. She deserves the best in these books. She deserves the best life. Uh-huh. Sprunk on Ulitsa. Are you saying that Soren is the best that Gilfy could do? Within the book's logic, yes. But also, no, not at all. Yeah, I just think <laughs> I just think your girl, your girl could do so much better. My girl needs to go live her best life being ace and writing books. Yeah. Well, that's kind of what she gets too. You know. <laughs> I don't remember. I I have started reading by, ahead, but I'm not the, that far ahead. By the logic of these books, if she did get together with Soren, then she would get sidelined so hard. That's true. That is absolutely true. So yeah, we get these, um, we, we have a whole lot more physical descriptions in this book of masked owls look nothing like me, Soren replied. Everyone was always saying this. He heard his parents complain about it. Yes, masked owls had white faces and buff-colored wings, but they had many more spots. We have multiple lines like this. Which is wild that that's, like, the line that they're drawing when owls have such, like, incredible diversity in, like, sizes and shapes and behaviors and colorings. We start drawing, especially as we start tapping people for chaws, mm-hmm. we start drawing a lot of attention to physical differences and how they play into your special abilities. Yeah. Soren has uh, differently placed ears on the sides of his head that which, help him triangulate sound. Which that's a thing that a lot of owl species actually have. But right. I think it is a kind of iconic of barn owls. Like, they have one of the more dramatic asymmetrical ears. And this becomes his special thing multiple times over. Yeah, that's his special ability. Mm-hmm. Uh, Twilight is big, and he's a good fighter because he's big. All these physical differences become very, very important. 
Gilpie is small, so she can kind of, you know, sneak into small places that other people couldn't fit. Which she will do later. Uh And Digger can go into tunnels and run on the ground. Yep. Yep. So they've all got their own abilities. But some of those abilities are more valued than others. Yes. And this is why I want to talk about owl ableism. Maybe we should save that for next time. Yeah, let's save that for next time. Because Ezelrib some... is Ezelrib is deserving of a whole diatribe uh-huh. on owl ableism. Alright, uh, should we end our discussion of the book itself here? Probably. Alright. We went through quite a journey there, but before we leave for the evening, I need to take you back to PB's Owl Fact Corner. Oh, good. Alright, so... Just as always, I'm going to tell you three owl facts, CJ. One of them is false. You have to tell me which one. It is Barn Owl Day. Oh, good. As we're talking about owl hierarchies. Fact number one. Unlike the world of Gahul, barn owls are actually the most widely distributed and common owl species of owl. They're found on every continent except for Antarctica. I almost instinctually believe that one because there's uh-huh. so many places for them to live. And actually, I don't know if it's... I should say common, but like they are very widely distributed and in general they are a common owl, if not the most common owl. Fact number two. Popular nicknames for barn owls include the demon owl, the death owl, and the lich owl, thanks to their ghostly appearances. I hope that one's true. And third, barn owls don't hoot. They instead make a sonorous trill, a distinctly pleasant sound, and I will play that for you now. That sounds like a horse. That is a small, maybe winged horse. That is a pegasus. No way that's an owl. All right, so, of those three, which do you think is false? Well, now I'm... Torn, because I don't think that was an owl, but you had the sound clip ready to go. We've got nicknames, like the demon owl. We've got being a very, very common owl, actually. And we have the fact that they don't hoot, they trill. Okay, I'm confident in number two is correct, is true, because I know for a fact that owls are death omens in many cultures. Yes. So that absolutely makes sense. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. One was that they were common, right? Yep, and they're found on every continent except for Antarctica. And that feels instinctually true because I know that barn owls will make their home in, like, any abandoned space or tree, and they're comfortable there. They have an easy time living in, like, farms and things compared to other owls. Yeah, yeah. Which only leaves three, which you had the sound clip for. I'm confident in my answer. I'm going number three, lock it in, Jeopardy double or nothing. All right, you are correct. The premise of the third fact is true. Barn owls don't make hooting sounds, but that was actually the sounds of a screech owl, (laughs) which you kind of expect to screech. But here's the actual sound that barn owls make. It's going to be something horrible, isn't it? What are you talking about? (laughs) What in the great clocks is that? Yeah. So to quote from the site, 
Barn owls don't hoot the way most owls do. Instead, they make a long, harsh scream that lasts about two seconds. No wonder they're death omens! Um, so the reason that they're called demon owl, lich owl... That would be why! They've got these ghostly white faces that you spot in the night. Uh, <laughs> they long scream like, at you! You know, darker plumage that you wouldn't really see in the night. Yeah, no wonder they are death omens. That is awful. Uh-huh. So yeah, there's the Owl Fact Corner for the day. Well, that brings a whole new side to the owl afterlife for me. Yeah. Demon death owl screams. So oh. next time. Next time. Second half of the book. Yes. We get our chaw. Yes. And then stuff happens. Yeah. We'll uh, talk about a little bit more about the afterlife. Yep. A little bit more about ableism. Yeah, actually a lot more about ableism. Because it is rampant. Yeah, yeah. And we'll finish out our genre-changing magical school time in the tree, uh-huh. and then we'll switch genres again. Yep, yep. I, yeah, no, we kind of switch genres about once a book or so. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, as always, I want to credit our show's theme music, which is by Morgan Jackson. You can find the rest of his music at wedidthetimewarpagain.bandcamp.com. Um. Listen to other shows on the Moonshot Network. We're very happy to be a part of it, and there's a lot of other good podcasts out there. You'll hear a promo after the end music. Um, anything else? One more owl vocab. Okay, CJ, one more owl vocab. Huckla, huckla. So it goes, so it goes. You are so close. Young owls will be young owls. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, boys will be boys. Yes, but it's ungendered, and I appreciate uh-huh. that. Uh-huh. Huckla huckla. Is a phrase that I feel in my gizzard. Well, as always, listen to that gizzard. Journey to distant realms. Explore the furthest reaches of the universe. Survive deadly dangers. Experience matters of the heart. And more in a new actual play podcast. Join me, Audrey. That's right, just me, as I play tabletop games designed for one player. From journaling games to tarot games to even games that take me outside, I'm bringing you along for the ride. Join me for every episode of Alone at the Table.